Welcome to The Five Nine, the official podcast of the Fierce Telecom and Technology Group. Join us each week for the latest insights on 5G, millimeter wave, AI, electronics, sensors, networking, infrastructure, and more in the communications and technology space. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Five Nine podcast brought to you by the Fierce team. As always, my name is Alejandro, your host. And this week, I'm very excited about our guests. We're joined by Jason Hill. He's the global head of digital infrastructure and Hulahem Loki. And he's going to give us a bit of a different point of view than what we usually hear on the podcast, which I can't wait to hear about. Jason, thanks for joining us. And it's a great pleasure to, to have you on with us today. Great. Thank you, Alejandro. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Listen, before we, we start talking about the specifics, I, I wanted to, to give you the, the chance here to introduce yourself and Hulen Loki a little bit for those that might not be as familiar as, as we are. Sure. Happy to. Thank you very much. As Alejandro said, my name is Jason Hill. I have two titles at Hulahan. One is Global Head of uh, Digital Infrastructure, and the second is I'm co-head of the U.S. Technology Practice. So that means that uh, I'm responsible uh, and work on lots of transactions within digital infrastructure across largely the U.S. or North America and Europe and also co-head up all of our activity and technology in the U.S., which is uh, includes a lot of software as well as uh, media and entertainment um, transactions. So uh, that's uh, a lot of what we focus on. But my career and, and, and where I've spent most of my time is in the digital infrastructure space. I've been doing uh, digital infrastructure since, I guess, the late 90s. Originally started out my career at Goldman Sachs uh, doing banking in the oil and gas and utility industry, but shifted over to telecom. In about 1998, started a firm called MVP Capital, where we were focused really on wireless. We then got into towers, we then got into uh, fiber, we then got into data centers. And before we knew it, we were calling ourselves a digital infrastructure firm, uh, as that became the popular term. And we were bought by Hulahan Loki about three and a half, almost three and a half, four years ago now. And it's been a great match and, and they're a great firm. For those who don't know, Hulahan is a global firm. They are the leader in mid-market M&A. And that's where we sit advising companies on raising capital or doing M&A transactions, really anywhere from the low end, $100 million to the high end, several billion dollars. And that's what Hulahan specializes uh, in across the globe. And it's a great practice. We have about 35, north of 35 offices, I think, about maybe 3,500 employees now. And it's been a great place for us. And we've really been able to take advantage of the global reach that Hulahan has and all the relationships they have with financial sponsors and with infrastructure funds uh, across the globe. And so it's been a great match so far, and we continue to grow our practice uh, in digital infrastructure. We started out with just a practice in the US, which was what MVP Capital was. And then we, with Houlihan, bought a practice over in Europe. And so now we have about 40 bankers between the US and Europe focused on uh, digital infrastructure. So again, thank you for having me. No, absolutely, Jason. And, and I think our listeners will, will realize how much you have on your plate based <laughs> on that description. Listen, Jason, you, you mentioned there you've uh, been working on telecom for 20 plus years now. So obviously you've seen the incoming Gs and the outcoming Gs and, and whatever technology has been touted and, and what we've actually deployed and what we haven't. I wanted to start this interview by giving you a chance to take that 30,000 foot view a little bit for our listeners and, and give us in broad strokes for 2024 and perhaps a bit into 2025, what are some of the key telco trends that you are keeping track of from that consultancy role that you play in the M&A space? Where are you seeing all those activities uh, and, and that interest fluctuate towards? 
Yeah, sure. There's, we're lucky, and we've been lucky for over 20 years being involved in telecom and digital infrastructure, given all that has gone on. When we got involved, and I started doing telecom back in the late 90s, PCS licenses had just been auctioned, and we were doing a lot of work with Leap, Wire, Leap at that time to consolidate a bunch of PCS licenses. And that was really fun. And we thought, hey, this is a great place to be, but how, how long will this last? And it's just continued to go on and on as innovation has driven and, and the hunger and thirst for data has driven the demand for, for more infrastructure. And so we continue to be very excited about what the future holds within our sector and where things are going. And some of the key things that we're following and thinking about over the next year, it's an easy answer and a common theme, but of course, AI. So I'll start there. That is something that is the headline grabbing term. But really, it is something that, that we are and, and a lot of those who we work with are, are watching, particularly in the data center space, the sort of hunt for power that data center providers are thinking about and searching for. Where can we go that has we can get access to power, access to cheap power, just to, to satisfy all the demand that could be coming from AI? And that's really a fascinating theme that really wasn't on the radar a couple of years ago that, that came out, obviously, when ChatGPT launched. And it's been evident in sort of stock market valuations, et cetera, over the past year. So that's been fun. And we'll continue to see that over the next year. CapEx spending is at an interesting spot right now. Over the past year, the wireless carriers, CapEx spending was a little lower. We haven't seen. And tower lease-up has been lower than you've typically seen. We feel like we're in this in-between. You mentioned the different Gs that we keep going through. We're in this 4G to 5G phase where, and, and we don't think it's different than how the other Gs have gone, where you've. In between the Gs, you have a little bit of a lull as carriers continue to milk as much as they can from the last G while they get ready for the next G. And it'll be interesting to see how CapEx spending plays out this year and also how forecasts start to come out for 25. Latest thinking is that 24 is going to be another sort of slow year on the wireless CapEx side, and hopefully things start picking up in, in 25. But ultimately, the carriers have to continue to densify their networks, right? And if they really want to have true 5G, and that's going to take place either through continuing to build out existing spectrum and, and they're really not much new spectrum coming out to the market. So they're going to have to continue to build out the C-band in the U.S. And we're interested to see how that kind of plays out and how quickly they do that. So that's another theme is just how quickly will net network densification happen and where will it happen? Macro sites versus small cells or in building DAS. We think all of those are going to work together, but where the carrier CapEx goes first will be interesting to watch. In the U.S., what's going on with Crown Castle, I think, is an interesting theme. And there's a couple of interesting elements within that theme. Crown was one of the only major tower companies, the public major tower companies, that took the approach of really trying to, to, to provide all digital infrastructure. Now, they didn't get into data centers, but obviously being the tower provider as well as fiber. And that approach has recently been questioned by, by some on Wall Street. And how that battle plays out, what ultimately the fiber gets valued at versus the towers and what agreements come out of that about out of that structure will be or out of that I don't know, battle will be interesting to see. Um, just a couple more, just because these are a lot of interesting things going on. The battle for the residential subscriber. And what do we mean by that? You have a lot of fascinating things going on with a resi subscriber now. Over the past several years, you've seen ton of capital investment going in from infrastructure funds in particular, funding this build out of the world, call it America's Europe for fiber, the, the fiberization of, of, uh, of the world. And as they try to get this residential subscriber. And so how that battle is going to play out, obviously, cables battling for that subscriber, new fiber entrants are battling for that, for that subscriber, traditional telephone companies are battling for that subscriber by trying to upgrade their plant. 
And then you have fixed wireless battling for that subscriber as well. And how that kind of plays out over the next year, does there start to be some bifurcation between winners and losers is going to be very interesting to, to, to see. How the government funding and bead plays into all of that will be interesting to see. And then lastly, and this kind of goes in with the crown piece, right? how enter- enterprise fiber is viewed will be interesting to follow over the next year as well. And what I mean by that, and this kind of goes a little bit, again, like I said, with the crown part, the enterprise fiber business five to 10 years ago was the darling of infrastructure funds. Everyone was trying to get an enterprise fiber business. Over the past, I don't know, three, four years, it shifted to the resi business, which I just talked about. And there's lots of good reasons why and lots of positive trends in resi fiber as to why investment interest shifted to that. But the pendulum on enterprise fiber started to shift to lower valuations, which is why Crown is facing some of the questions they're facing. How does enterprise fiber and that market play out is another thing we're fascinated to watch. We think actually maybe the pendulum shifted a little bit too far to one side that despite that there been has been some lack of growth. And part of that goes with one of the first points I mentioned. The second point I mentioned, CapEx spending is a little lower on the wireless side and the fiber to the tower opportunity isn't as substantial as it once was or is growing as quickly as it once was. But with network densification, we think that pendulum could swing back and it'll just be interesting to see how enterprise fiber and the, the business plans around there play out over the next year as well. So anyway, give you lots of things to think about, but uh, <laughs> those are some of the key trends we're watching. Yeah. And I think the best part about that answer, Jason, is that it could it could open up the way to a 10-episode interview here, just of all the <laughs> great things that you brought up. So I'm going to take the, the podcast host prerogative here and choose a couple to, to pick your brains about, but I'm sure our listeners can reach out and speak to you specifically about whichever ones resonated the most. But I, I did want to pick up on that point uh, around the CapEx spend and, and that battle for the residential um, consumer before we go into into the other topics. Specifically, you mentioned uh, fixed wireless, you mentioned cable. I wanted to get your take on the technology itself. We have covered here at FEAR some wins uh, using FWA, right, about expanding footprints, perhaps reaching areas that were traditionally not as well covered or or weren't covered at all. So there seems to be more interest there. Uh, But of course, there's a lot of talk around fiber and cable. So starting with the wireless side, what promise do you see in fixed wireless? Is it good enough? Is it seeing the results that carriers would find? And from a, the economic standpoint, does it hold water? Yeah, uh, all great questions. I think let's start with the good enough. I've been somewhat using that term for the past several years as I've tested wireless speeds everywhere I go. I love opening up the app on my on my phone or whatever and, and doing a speed test and seeing how I'm doing, whether on Wi-Fi or on uh, wireless. And I do think those speeds are pretty good. Obviously, it depends on how close you are to the tower, who's using the network at the time. There's lots of factors that play into that, which are some of the limitations associated with fixed wireless. But in general, if you've got that 5G, whatever carrier you use, that that little symbol on your phone that suggests that you're in the better coverage area, those speeds can be 100 meg to I've gotten four to 500 meg to one time when we were very close to a tower, I've got north north of a gig on the download. So the download speeds are, I think, for, and obviously depends on the use of the family, if it's heavy gaming, heavy constant net, Netflix download, or et cetera, that could present some challenges. For internet surfing in, in a home, that actually could be good enough. The interesting thing is I recently upgraded the Wi-Fi uh, system in my house, and I get a gig into my house, and then it goes into a bunch of routers that if you stand not next to the router, but somewhere in the middle of the house where you're not next to a router, I'm probably getting... 75 to 100 uh, megabits a second of speed off of the Wi-Fi, even though I think in my mind I'm getting a gig, right? Because I have, I'm paying for a gig. So unless you, you know, upgrade to better Wi-Fi system, you then test in the same spot in your house and you go to wireless, you actually may be getting better speeds on your wireless at that same spot in your house. 
right? So the speeds coming off of the fixed wireless are, are actually good enough. Now, the question is good enough for now or good enough for the future? And, and what's sort of coming down in the future that, that could really affect that being good enough? I think the answer is good enough for now. I think it's very much a question of good enough for a future. If applications come down, you just saw this big sports streaming announcement yesterday, and sports is a huge driver of obviously content and what people go to watch TV for or go to the internet for. You get things like that, that that are continuing to drive the need for high bandwidth network. And you have multiple users trying to hit one antenna sec- sector on a tower in order to download the Super Bowl all at the same time or whatever. It may not be good enough, right? And then you may say, you, you really are going to need to have fiber directly into your house or uh, upgraded cable network into your house. But I think for now, it's good enough, which is why you see And it's at a compelling price point, which is why you see the gross ads that we're seeing from from the U.S., particularly Verizon and Timo. But I think you saw also Timo give a little bit of a hint that 2024 may be less gross ads than what they were talking about or what they saw as opposed to 500,000 a quarter like they were seeing in 23, maybe 400,000. And also read the fine print print a little bit. If you're a heavy user at times when there's uh, significant congestion on the network, they may throttle you back a little bit. So that's the challenge. And I think it kind of goes to the network densification point. Carriers are going to have to at some point think about if fixed wireless is really a play that we're going to continue to advocate for and, and advertise and, and offer to our consumers, how do we get that so the consumer experience is consistently good? And I think right now it probably is. I wonder going forward if they're going to have to really invest in, in the network in order to ensure that, that it will continue to be. Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting analysis around, is it good enough for now versus the future? And and probably some of that dynamic comes down to what access technologies will be available for folks yeah. in future, right? I live in a rural spot. I only have one fiber provider. If I don't choose that fiber provider, I'm in a bit of trouble. Uh, hopefully that'll change and it'll change for a lot of people. But you mentioned at the top there around cable starting to compete for that residential subscriber. There's a lot of investment in in fiber, of course, even federal funding, which will largely go towards fiber, although wireless technologies will also have a role to play. So in that front, what trends are you tracking there in in terms of that fixed wireline versus wireless? And how do you see that playing out? Well, make sure I understand. How do I see fixed wireless versus wireline playing out? Yeah, or just generally that how that customer experience will differ and where the investment will go, basically. Yeah, I, again, I think the and, and tell me if I'm, I'm answering the, the question correctly. I want to make sure I understand it, but look, I think your the the, the wireline customer fiber is always going to have, I think, the advantage, right? It's just it's it's just a very strong product. Cable is doing a good job with their network, though, of making that also a competitive product, right? Where you have the upgraded uh, HC plant and to, to the various DOCSIS standards that is allowing for cable to be also a very competitive product. And I think I think the consumer ultimately, they care about just, look, what am I paying? And is my service consistent and good? And can I get, you know, the can I get what I want when I go online? Or am I getting buffered a lot? Or was it offline? Or am I paying too much? And so if you can get to your customer a high quality product at a competitive price that's consistently good, I think you're going to be able to keep that customer. Because I don't really know if the consumer cares that much, as much as you and I understand how networks work. Once once it goes past the wall of their house and goes outside, do they know that it's HFC or do they care that it's fiber? Do they care? They I don't know if the average consumer cares that much other than I just want to make sure that it works and I can get the product that, I'm, that, I, that, I, that I paid for and that I'm paying a good price. And so I think cable can continue to, continue to be a competitive product. 
I think fiber will continue to be a competitive product. I think they both can actually succeed, but it depends on, like you said, you're in a rural area with, with, with one fiber provider, right? That fiber provider will do very well. If you have five fiber providers and a cable company and fixed wireless access, you really start to chop up the market a lot, right? And, and that makes the economics tough and the model tough for, for those various providers. Look, I think there's, there's room in each market for all of the providers. There's just not a lot of room for all of them, meaning if a lot keep coming in. And we haven't yet seen that really in the U.S. where you've got multiple providers coming in, multiple fiber providers sort of overbuilding each other, uh, trying to com- compete for that same customer. The, the market's generally been rational and it's generally said, look, we've got the incumbent telephone company, we've got the cable company, and we've got a fiber company. And then you'll have fixed wireless on top of that. And that's where it's settled out so far. And capital has been rational to not really overbuild each other. As long as that happens, I think there'll be everyone will be able to do well and do fine and keep their customers and, and have a solid business plan. But if the market becomes irrational where they start overbuilding beyond that, then the market share question starts to come into play. And, and the consumer then will have lots more choices and they'll be able to, to the point I was making initially, there'll be price competition and prices go down and then they'll be willing to switch because, hey, I can get a similarly competitive product for a cheaper price. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that answered your question, but just you know how we're <laughs> yeah. thinking about fixed wireless versus fixed wireline and the type of fixed wirelines that are out there. No, that makes a lot of sense. It absolutely answers my question. So Jason, just to close out here, you mentioned AI at the top. It, uh, it would be remiss uh, to have a, a tech telecom podcast and not talk about AI, even if briefly. Now, we've been talking about network automation for a long time. We've been talking about virtualization for a long time. It seems like now that the technology is maturing to a point that it's becoming a reality in terms of real impact for carriers and networks internationally. So how what are perhaps a couple of the things that you're most excited about in terms of how AI is being applied or how it can be applied when looking at these uh, networks and something for us to look out for as we conclude the interview? Our history here has largely been on the infrastructure side, the hard asset side. That's how networks have really been thought about. But you've seen an evolution and we've started to spend uh, more time thinking about the software side. And this goes also with Hulahan's software practice, right? We have a software team that thinks about everything software and we have a digital infrastructure team that thinks about everything hard asset. But then we've started to say, wait a second, you're starting to see the software come in and play with the, with the, play well with the hard asset and assets are being optimized uh, by software to make sure that they're being used as efficiently as possible. The potential for what AI can do, and again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not necessarily you know, the best technologist to say, what will AI do for everything? But what I do know is, what I can say is, look, it's fascinating to see how software is coming into networks and influencing in network design, even to the point with ORAN, right? And how networks now are gonna be multiple providers, suppliers being part of the same network and software uh, being applied to allow them to integrate uh, well. Those types of moves we think are really interesting. And although we've been as a group really focused on the hard asset side of things and still are, we continue to now think about, we have to be smart about and, and have to think about the software side. And I think a lot of firms are starting to think about that. Financial sponsors are start, starting to think about that as well. How is software going to influence network optimization? And I, I, you could reference the AT&T, AT&T's ORAN initiative, how they're thinking about software. Verizon, I think, is, has had a number of thoughts out there about software influencing their networks. And I think that all the carriers are obviously thinking about it and how AI then supercharges that. I think you'd you have to be prepared for that supercharging to happen, right? If, if, if the promise of AI, and I'm sure some of it's overhyped, but I'm sure a lot of it's also pretty real, 
that uh, what AI can do for networks, that possibility is certainly out there. And again, the carriers are already heading in that direction from a software perspective and how much they're using software in their networks now. You know, what happens to, with AI uh, kind of injecting further fuel into that to be seen, but, but you got to think it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to supercharge things. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time and it's unfortunate indeed because I think uh, there's a lot more to, to be talked about and discussed. But for now, Jason, I really wanted to thank you for your time and your insights uh, and your expertise that you've shared with us today. It's been uh, fascinating. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Excellent. And to you, our listeners, always, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back in your feed soon with more leading voices from our tech world. Until then, take care and bye-bye. You've been listening to The Five Nine, Fierce Telecom's official telecom and technology podcast. Follow us on Zencaster to get the latest ICT insights each week. Get the latest telecom and technology news at our websites, piercewireless.com, PierceElectronics.com, PierceTelecom.com, and PierceVideo.com. See you soon.